What's up, podcast listeners? It's your boy back on another fantastic, amazing episode of Yep, you guessed it, the Matt Baxter Show. I'm hanging out with Steve Lowitz. Steve is just a phenomenal man, leader, speaker, author, uh, and just honestly, like one of the most genuine guys. He tells an amazing story about how, uh, you know, I think in his words, he was kind of a dick to a lot of people and ran over a lot of people and uh, basically was just kind of self-serving. Then all of a sudden he kind of went through this crazy, crazy, crazy sort of self-realization, self-vitalization you know, vitalization and sort of apologized to so many people that he ran over in his past. And since then, and, and, and not that he wasn't a great leader before, but it, it was selfish motivation. And now it's like making the world a better place. And I, with Wedge, he's been an investor, a mentor, just a great man. And I've seen him do that for so many, so many lives. He's done some amazing just work both in the recruiting space with his company, uh, as an author, as a speaker, and all over the place. So Steve, I just want to say thank you for the man that you are. Thank you for the support that you've given me and our business. And just thank you, thank you, thank you for being such an amazing leader. I hope everybody enjoys this episode as much as I did. Steve, thanks for being a guest on this podcast. Happy to be here. All right, man. So are you hanging out in Detroit now? Hanging out in Detroit? That's that's hometown. Hometown. So uh, just give me the uh, I mean, we, we've got a lot of things to discuss today. We have a lot of things to discuss, but give me the uh, give me the background. What kind of led up led you up to today? Um, so 30 years in the in the talent space. Right. It was I'm an architect by education and it was all about building businesses through their buildings. And now it's building businesses through people. When did that shift happen? When did you go from buildings to people? Shortly after, uh, I, I, I was an architect for a short period of time, working for actually the Dean of Architecture, the college that I went to, and realized that sitting behind a desk and drawing is not the thing that was for me. So that was about a year after I graduated. So it's it's uh, I've been in this space ever since. Um, when you first wanted to go into architecture, obviously you saw something in it. What was sort of the initial thing that grabbed? Was it just the, you know, the beauty and the awe-inspiringness of big buildings or what kind of grabbed you initially? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a creative guy and, and that was my way to, to use both the creative side and the, pre- the precision side of me because I kind of, you know, both sides of my brain are, are pretty active and that gave me the opportunity to do that. That's what drew me into it in the first place. Now that, um, you know, 30 years, 30 years later after making the shift, do you still go back and like, obviously like, do do you go back and kind of recreate any homes or buildings in your head or anything like that? Or is that pretty much like the building itself piece of you kind of remove? It's rare. I mean, we're, we're doing some work on a new house that that we uh, moved into about nine, nine months ago, give or take. And, and I I sketch out the designs and then give it to a real architect who actually knows what they're doing. (laughs) It's like, this is literally the idea on a napkin. Now take it and make it look pretty. Well, I, I went as I went as far as to actually draw it out on graph paper, so at least he had something to work with. But <laughs> but I, you know, it's just not. It's been so long since I've used that skill that it's just not something that that I focus on anymore. I think I told you. I might, I might have told you this when I was when we were hanging out in your office. But uh, one of our clients for Wedge is actually uh, an architecture firm that they hire out people that are currently designing the apartments and the uh, the condos, if you will, uh, being put on Mars. So no it's legitimately a firm that that has people on staff who spend all day thinking about what is the what are the buildings going to look like in space. Now that would be pretty cool for that for that type of opportunity. I may leave after thirty years and go back into architecture, man. I was about to say we can have you go through a wedge and submit your application. <laughs> hey, let's let's do that. I, I'm ready to create that video resume, man. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So uh, thirty years brought you, so. 
Uh, big jump from uh, idea on paper, or so so drawings on paper to jumping into helping build companies from a talent perspective. What was sort of your first taste or itch that you scratched when it came to the talent world? Uh, I was on the receiving side. So <laughs> one step in between, right after leaving architecture, I got into sales and sales led me to sales leadership. And part of leadership is recruiting and hiring. And, and I had such a horrible experience with a number of traditional recruiting agencies that when one came along that kind of had a different model, different feel, that's what gave me the itch to say, oh my gosh, there is such an opportunity in this space to do things differently. And then a year later, I was in the, in the business. What was, at the time, what was different about traditional recruiting then and what was pretty similar or hasn't changed much? Well, I, I, don't, I think a lot of it hasn't changed much. You know, aside from the models of contingent and retained and typical staffing, which were around even back then and way, way before then, you know, the thing that's, the thing that's changed is technology as an enabler, but, but the reality of the processes, unfortunately, haven't changed a whole lot based on my experience over the last 29 or 30 years. Do you think, and this is where, you know, maybe we need a couple scotches in front of us to answer a type of question like this, but do you think human resource departments in general should be the departments overseeing talent attraction? So first of all, I have a glass of scotch right on my desk to answer this question. Perfect. I'm kidding. But so, so no, I, Steve, just so you know, nobody knows what time it is. So, you know, that, 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 you know, you're safe, you're safe in my book. <laughs> Fair enough. So I've got a big bottle of scotch, a big bottle of McCallum 18 to answer this question. Speaking so, of that 1.5 liter uh, bottle of wine you have behind your office. <laughs> I have that one sitting there too. Um, so, so I think it depends on the circumstances, right? So here's what I mean by that. If, if HR is regulated to um, administrative duties, no, I don't think talent acquisition should report up to it at all. If HR truly is all about talent, talent development, I don't think you can separate it. The problem is you've got some HR leaders that are in a broader role but have a very myopic focus, and it still becomes very administrative, which needs to be done. I'm not, I'm not discounting that, but I wouldn't in that scenario – Put talent acquisition there because talent acquisition, as you and I both know, it's more of a sales function than anything else. And many times they don't understand that. But those that do, I think, do a fantastic job. And I know a lot of those HR leaders. So walk me through because your your entire well, uh, let's get to, I'll get to that in a second. Walk me through the the launch of your company today and kind of the timing of that and when that all went down. And then I, I want to dive into a couple of things because I know you're doing, you're, you're shaking it up. Well, you have been shaking it up for, for a while now, but I'd love to hear kind of the launch of the business and then uh, we'll, we'll dive into that. Well, 1999 is when I launched the business. In fact, we just celebrated 22 years. And I, prior to this, I was president of another firm that had a very similar model to what we do now our genesis is a recruiting recruitment research firm that moved into sourcing, moved into recruiting, moved into the executive search, competitive intelligence, salary surveys, anything that has something to do with people. But our model has always been pay us for our time, not a commission. So we're not motivated by commission. We're motivated by the right candidate for the right reason at the right time. But in 1999, after having a couple of partners being present in the firm and one of them stealing from me, I said, forget it. We're not doing this anymore. Split the company up, created Qualigence, and, and here we are 22 years later. So the, for, for folks that are not familiar in the space, one of the biggest things that you guys have done differently and do differently is that you're not 
charging, you know, placement fees. Uh, once you make a placement, you're charging for, we're going to come alongside as, you know, consultants, if you will, which may be the wrong term, but you're going to cut more, more advise and help them alongside still making placements, but the fee structure is a lot different. Yeah. Everything that we do is hourly, no minimums, right? It's, it's what the client needs. And, and about 85% of the time it ends up in a higher 15% of the time it doesn't for various reasons. It might be, they're just benchmarking current candidates. And our, our average cost, and we can't make it all about pricing because it's about the value, but our average cost per hire is under 15% when we do full search. And, and our, no matter how many hires the client makes, they don't pay us a fee. I've never taken a fee in 30 years. What would be um, what would be sort of the bread and butter type roles that you guys would find? And then also throw in some like uh, geography, location, throw in like maybe may, maybe market size. Would, would love to kind of get the breakdown of that. Yeah, we're, we're vertically aligned. So I've got a team that does financial services. I've got a team that does technology. I've got a team that does e-commerce, transportation, uh, healthcare, health insurance, and so on. So we're we're really specialized by team within those verticals, so to speak. I've got, again, technology folks. I've got folks that understand sales, understand marketing, understand finance really, really well so that you can, you can kind of segment it in almost in any way you want. And we've got a team that has that experience. In terms of geography, we're all over the world technically, but we're about 80% in North America, 20% outside of North America today. It was about 60, 40 a couple of years ago, but but uh, it's, you know, some of the European markets have been hit harder than the U.S., so we, we continue to focus on the U.S. Yeah, it makes sense. So let's say Qualigence, uh, you know, let's say that's not something you were going to continue doing, and let's say Wedge wasn't something I was going to continue doing, and I call you up and I say, Steve, you know a lot of people, I know a lot of people, we know a lot of companies, let's just go start our own little recruiting firm. Why is that a bad idea? Because it seems like people are doing that a lot. I, everybody and their brother starts a recruiting. Exactly, firm. exactly. I know a ton of people. So let me let me just go start this. And and you know what? Some of them do really well for a very short period of time, and then things unfortunately fizzle out, even when the economy is good. There's a couple of things. One, if you're if you're doing the same model as everybody else, you become a me too, just like everybody else. And and I'm not sure long term that that's a, a real smart way to do it. Secondly, when we're doing it just off of people we know. What ends up happening is we're robbing Peter to pay Paul because, and this is what the executive search firms used to do, I place you at company A, two years later I take you out and place you at company B. I don't think that's the best way to do business. In fact, I don't think that's the right way to do business in recruiting at all. I uh, I just did a podcast with uh, actually another Steve, Steve Cadigan, who was the first uh, um, uh, chief human resource officer for LinkedIn uh, uh, quite a few years quite a few years back. And one of the things he mentioned on it, and I'd, I'd be really curious your perspective on this was the whole conversation around retention and how the number uh, or the, the, the amount of time that an employee uh, stays at a company is drastically decreased, decreased, decreased. Okay. I don't think anybody's surprised by that, but one of the things I, I, I forget the exact number and I'll have to fact check this, but I think it was like 1.3 years is kind of the average tenure that an employee sticks around across all functions, all jobs, everything. But one, he, he delivered a talk around this topic and one some, some professor kind of approached him and was like, just out of curiosity though, is retention really a problem because companies are more profitable than ever? And one of the things, it, it kind of stumped him and it was something that I've been thinking about quite a bit ever since too, is like, you know, this is, I'd be curious kind of your philosophy on this is that retention, obviously we want our people to stay. We want our people to stick with the company, get an ROI back on them, but yet, you know, on, on a business case, there's kind of in a grand grandiose scale, 
the profit is still just as high, if not higher, even though retention's going up. How do you how are you thinking about sort of those two things coming at each other? I, I think retention is good in a specific time. So for example, if I try to retain all of my people forever, I'm doing them a disservice and I'm doing myself a disservice, right? So retention is based on, do I get the value out of them? And are they, are they getting the value for themselves as an employee? If the answer is yes to both of those, I think retention is great. And I think it actually increases profitability. And our business is a prime example of that. The longer that we keep somebody, as long as we don't keep them too long, we actually uh, hit all of our profitability and exceed all of our profitability goals because there's a certain knowledge factor that goes out the door when they leave and we have to start over, right? But we are, I'm also of the opinion of you, you don't want to hold on to people too long. If they've outgrown your organization, if they've outgrown that position, you can't offer them something. Retention is, is ridiculous because you're creating an environment for the right reasons, but the wrong outcome where they're unhappy because it's time to move on. And then you try to throw money or some other perk just to keep them for a period of time. And it makes them and the people around them miserable. So I think it's a balance of the two. It's not a one size fits all. Yeah, I love that. So um, I think you have a book out there, something along the lines of like recruitment sucks or something like that. What is it again? <laughs> yeah, it's recruitment sucks, but it doesn't have to. <laughs> so give me, uh, give me, give me the, give me the spark note uh, version of it. What caused you to write it, other than maybe that you think recruitment sucks? Well, here's 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 why I wrote it. You know, I I speak all over the country, and I was traveling down to Florida, sitting next to a guy as I was going to go speak at a conference, and we got to talking and. And uh, he's, he was the CEO at the time of one of our automotive tier one suppliers here in Detroit. And uh, of course, I asked him who he was, what does he do? And he turns to me and he says, what do you do? And I said, I'm going to speak at this conference. And he says, what kind of conference? I said, recruiting in HR. And he kind of shifts in his seat next to me and he's like, oh, you're one of them. And I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about? That, that's when Steve kind of pops his chest a little bit. And he's like, what the hell are you saying? <laughs> but but his, his, he kept coming back to this over and over and over. Recruiting sucks. Recruiting sucks. Recruiting sucks. And my comment to him was, it doesn't have to. That's where the idea for the book title came out. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. Um, so... Let's uh, let's 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 take a step outside of the recruitment conversation around Steve. So, Steve, obviously, you've had you know uh, you've been a remarkable uh, mentor and advisor to me, both personally and business wise. Um, you've had a lot of success in your career, which has been awesome. So, walk me through sort of more the driving factors to Steve when he you know Steve in 1999 when he launched this company, coming off being a CEO of another company, and you know you've got the drive for that. What was sort of the fueling your fire? you know, during, during that era? And then what sort of evolved and changed or hasn't changed between 1999 and 22 years later now? Well, it's, it's kind of gone back and forth. So when, when the business, when I got into the business, actually going back to 1992, it was about changing the industry. I had a clear purpose. It wasn't all about money. And somewhere along the line, it became about the dollars. How much money can I make? And I think this is common of any business leader, especially in our industry. And I lost focus on exactly what I wanted to do and why I wanted to do it and what the purpose was. And in fact, you know, I, I became probably one of the worst leaders that you could possibly think of in an organization. And I, what, I what, do you think you uh, do you think you knew that at the time? So yeah, I think part of it I didn't want to admit it. I think yeah. half of it I knew. And I think the more I spent time understanding why others thought of it, 
the more I realized or thought I was a bad leader, the more I agreed and the more I realized that something has got to change. And I had lost my focus because when you make all of your decisions based purely and look, you guys are a startup. Financials are, are important. But when you make decisions solely based on financials, you'll start cutting corners. You'll start doing things you shouldn't be doing because it's easy to make those decisions to maximize profitability for the right reason, but the wrong outcome. Right. I, I just that was the, my driver. And I see too many entrepreneurs doing that. And it was about nine years ago that I realized, Matt, that it's not about money's important. That's what allows us to do what we do. But our decisions should be made, be made first and foremost about what we're trying. What's our purpose? What we're trying to are, are we trying to solve a problem of our client? Let's solve that first. And if we do it right, profitability will come. So what all of a sudden was like the uh, what's the phrase broke the camel's back or whatever it was? What all of a sudden was the uh, you 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 shifted from you know you you recognize yourself you know maybe deep down you knew it or but but obviously something changed. What happened? Yeah, I had gone through uh, you know not only was I having hard times in the office and and retaining people and leading people and in fact I wasn't doing any of that and, and I also did the same thing at home right it was a, it was a, there was at a point and I shared this freely just to to prove the point. I had asked my wife at the time of 21 years um, for a divorce. We never got divorced. We've been married now 30 years, which is fantastic. But I had an opportunity to spend some time with a co my coach's coach. Every good leader, I believe, should have a coach. And my coach's coach said, hey, come meet with me down in Arizona. And after canceling on the guy twice, he calls me up on a Thursday, Matt, and he says, look, I think you need to come out here. We need to spend some time together. You got to figure out who the hell you are and what value you bring to your team, to the industry, to life in general. And uh, he convinced me to come down to Arizona. Calls me on a Thursday, says, I happen to have an opening Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of next week. Would you come? I looked at my calendar and I guarantee you this is the first time in my life in business that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday had nothing on my calendar the following week. So it was like, okay it's time for me to go. And begrudgingly, I went down to Arizona and, and met this guy. And that kind of started this, this transformation of, of who I was and, and who I've, uh, the journey that I'm now on, and by no means ended with it. What would you say? I mean, so you, you went, you went through that experience. Uh, what would you say were qualities of Steve that you kind of kept going through that versus qualities of Steve that you're like, yep, time to change? Well, the drive definitely I, I kept because my drive was to achieve right those results. I wanted I I had the ego, I had the dollars to support the ego. I had all of that happening, but that drive was also the same thing that got me to finally look at. Oh my gosh, I am burning every bridge I possibly can, and that doesn't make any sense. So that drive that drive continued on. I think deep down, you know, I always valued relationships, but I didn't show it. And that was one of the other pieces. So I still had that value, but during that transformation or during the last nine years of transformation, I've had to not only retain that value in people, but actually grow that value in people. And that's been a big part of the last nine years after, after going through my, my uh, trans, let's call it a transformation in the desert. <laughs> Uh, nothing like a little heat can change a man's soul in a hurry. <laughs> you know, you know when I when I was sitting there on this berm and and I'm I, first of all I'm ticked off that I'm in the middle of nowhere. It was part of this this environment that this coach had put me in, and it was two days in the desert all by myself with nothing but a 
a something to write on, a bottle, a two bottles of water, and a chair. That's all I had for two days, Matt. Right, and you and I kind of run at the same speed. It's like I'm wasting time by being out there instead of yeah. I'm, you're bored after about six minutes of kicking yeah. the rocks, <laughs> and, and I'm bored. I'm pissed. I'm I'm stomping around, and it's before sun. The sun comes up. But as the, as the sun comes up, I'm sitting on this berm looking at the mountain in front of me and the sun's coming up behind me. So you can see the line. Imagine this. You're looking at the mountain. You're looking at the top and the top kind of lights up. And the, as the sun's coming up behind, the line is coming closer and closer to you of lighting up the mountain in front of you. And, and this is where it gets, gets a little weird for some people, but, but I'll tell the story. I'm, I, it, the sun's now up. I'm looking to my left. I'm looking to my right. And there's there's sun on both sides, but I'm sitting in the shade still. And 10 minutes goes by and sun on the left and sun on the right. And I'm still sitting in the shade. And that's when I realized that there's a mountain behind me, which is making the point because the sun's coming up behind me again and coming down the front of me. But the sun should have moved. And for a good 20 minutes, the sun just sat there, which I can't explain. Don't know, except to say I knew that that was where I needed to be. That was the sign that says, you know, in, in, in my experience, God was telling me, this is Steve where I need you to be. And, and that started to come. I was shaking. I was bawling my eyes out. I was wondering what is going on. Took out my pad of paper and I start writing and I'm writing apologies to my family members, apologies to some of the people that I fired for the wrong reasons, mistreated in the business, just it's just pouring. It's all gushing out, right? And and realized that, that relationships were the thing that I had burned, as I referenced. So I'm writing, talking about relationships in this this book that I've kept to, kept to this day. I'll never get rid of it. And coming down this path in this middle of nowhere in the desert, close to the Mexican border. And these three older folks are. This is not a vision. Don't 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 freak out if you're listening to this. But this is literally three people walking down this path to the area I'm in. Two of them look like they were married and, and they're in their 70s and 80s. And there's a guy walking behind them and he's got this cane. And here is the thing. They were having a ball. They were laughing. They were enjoying each other's company just as I'm sitting there writing about what it, what relationships mean. And that changed my world forever and, and came back from that. And, and somebody that I hadn't seen in four or five days because I was gone was my assistant at the time. And she saw me Friday night. I came back Friday morning. She saw me Friday night. Matt didn't didn't lay, lay eyes on me for more than five seconds, came up, gave me a big hug and said, Steve, you're not the same person that left. I don't know what happened, but I can see it in your eyes. Hmm. And that was the start to the last nine years of, of transformation. Well, it's, it's, it's one of those like amazing things. And, and I think you alluded to this, but just in our time together, you know, the, the pace at which we run both good and bad, but just the excitement, the ideas, the opportunities, all that different stuff. And then you're put in a moment like that where you're just like everything, like everything you could be thinking about the to-do list, the things are completely gone. And you're just sitting appreciating three people walking and laughing. And it's like a moment like that is not one that we get often, but it's one of those things that literally can change like your life and all the people around you that you impact. And, and it's amazing what a little bit of slowing down for uh, crazies like us can do. <laughs> yeah, it's, part of it's slowing down and the other part of it is opening your eyes. And my yeah. eyes at that point were not open. And, yeah. and when I came back from that and, and shared the experience with my family, my team, and, I, and went back and apologized to people that I had mistreated, fired for no reason, I had to make all that right before I could continue on the journey that I've now been on. 
And really, I spend the majority of my time, 75 to 80 percent of my time is now developing leaders within my company and other companies so they can go on and take the mission. That's really the calling that I've had for since since all this happened. Yeah, I love that. So let's say, you know, Steve, hypothetically, just hypothetically, yeah. you were talking to a, 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 a you know, co-founder, founder, CEO of a, of a small little uh, tech startup. Hypothetically, let's say you were doing that. And, uh, you know, let's say hypothetically that person had big dreams and big ambitions and sort of similar maybe mentality. What would you advise him or her on not necessarily how not to do what you did, but more saying like, what would you just advise them knowing that they're probably going to go towards, you know, a, a path where they're going to make plenty of mistakes, both good and bad. But what would you sort of recommend them? What would you encourage them to be thinking about while they're still trying to, quote unquote, make it in their career? One, why are you doing what you're doing? What's the driver? If it's purely dollars, that's fine at a given time. But think of the impact that's going to have. If it's something else, if it's changing an industry, if it's helping people recruit better, whatever that technology allows them to do, what's the purpose? And I don't mean purpose in terms of feel good, social corporate response. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about why are you doing what you're doing? And then make sure you, you're honest about it with your team, because if it's money, let's make sure that everyone knows we're making decisions based solely on nothing but money right now. And you're going to attract a certain type of person and you're going to you're going to not be able to attract a, another type of person. That, that's number one. Number two, don't lose sight of what's driving your team outside of that and, and make sure you get their definition of what's driving them. I'll give you a really quick example. This is this is some years ago where I had a team member of mine that said, career is career advancement is the most important thing to me. So I said, great. And I started giving her all kinds of responsibility, introducing her to all kinds of different things in the business, finance, marketing, sales. It didn't matter. Six months later, Matt, she quits. And I say, why? Why did you quit? She said, because of career advancement. And I said, well, I was giving you all this. She said, but career advancement means to me, I know this particular function like the back of my hand. I'm the best there is at it. And you wasted my time by giving me all this other stuff. Hmm. Our definition is very different than others. My, so I guess the end, end of that, Matt, would be don't make assumptions about what drives people. Let them define it for you in yeah. any leadership role, especially a fast-growing tech startup. I like that a lot. So, Steve, now, 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 you've got uh, just so much fire, energy, excitement, knowledge, just, I mean, so much behind you. What, what, what is it now that's, that's fueling you? What, two-part question. Number one, what's, what's now fueling you? And number two, you know, if you, if you got to choose what the legacy you had on the world was, what would you want that to be? Oh, that's a, that's a tough question. Well, for, first of all, in terms of, you know, doing now, uh, I mean, my, my purpose, our purpose is people living their purpose. And it ties right into our business as it ties into my personal life, right? That's why our model is like it is. It's about the right candidate for the right role. And the right, you know, all of that is more clear than ever before. And I want to change the industry. I want to change an industry that I think is, is operating under the wrong pretense that's where we get the name headhunter from, right? Let's let's really reevaluate what we've been doing for the last hundred years and truly change it for the betterment of the employee and the employer. So that's my mission, right there. In terms of legacy, I hope I get to a point before 
you know, unfortunately, and we all leave this world at some time or a number. I, I hope some people can look back and say, you know what, I'm a better person because of the training or the time or the energy that I was able to help them with or put into them. I hope that that's the legacy. Yep. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. And my, uh, my, my favorite question on the planet is what, Steve, what gets you out of bed in the morning? People and the impact that I now see that I have on people the right way. Otherwise, dude, this morning, I did not want to get out of bed. I was out a little late last night with somebody and I did not want to get up. But the first thing I had to do this morning, Matt, was lead a leadership training event for one of my team members here, one of my team groups here. That's what got me out of bed like a springboard after realizing, crap, I need to be there on time. <laughs> and that, you know, that's a, it's, it's kind of a broad comment to that. But but the ability to see somebody's light bulb go on when you're talking about something and teaching them about leadership and so on and using my own self as examples of what not to do, that's what keeps me going, man. I love that. I love that. Steve, for people that want to follow along with what you got going on, uh, want to follow your company, your books, all that stuff, what's the best way for them to uh, give you a holler, give you a shout, follow along, any of it? Yeah, you, you can you can get everything off my my social profile. So if you go to LinkedIn.com, it's just Steve Lois. You can also go to SteveLois.com, Qualigence.com, or if you really want to read that book, go to RecruitingSucks.com, and you're able to get a, both an electronic copy as well as a printed copy right there. Anything else you want to leave the audience with? I just anybody has any questions around people, this is my cell. Text me, call me. If it if it's something that's confidential, a question you want to ask, you can do it that way. 734-837-8500. Steve, I love it. Thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. You got it, man. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well, too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye. <music>